Well, it is uh, good to be back with you all. Jessica and I were uh, on a family vacation that was refreshing with Roman, and we were up in uh, in Canada for the past week, and it was a little bit cooler, which was wonderful. It wasn't like standing on the sun uh, like it is here, so we could wear shorts and a t-shirt and be comfortable. We had an awesome time, uh, but we missed you guys. You know, we were coming back, we were talking about how thankful we are uh, to be here with you all, to be a part of this church, to be able to call this our church family. And I know many of you feel the same way, and if you're new with us, I think uh, very quickly you'll come to realize that when we say that this is family, we really mean it. And uh, we're really seeking to build a community um, that is full of love and kindness and forgiveness. And as we'll talk about tonight, uh, that is slow to anger. You know, if you were uh, with us last week where we kicked off our series, Sam Miranda from uh, Miami Springs, a campus pastor from Miami Springs, came here and launched the series. And heard he did a great job just opening up and talking about what is wisdom. And he said that wisdom is Jesus and that as you begin to seek out wisdom, if you're seeking out wisdom apart from seeking God, apart from seeking Jesus, then uh, you're foolish and you're not going to find wisdom. Well, before we move into tonight's passage, uh, many passages actually, as you saw read, that is on anger management, I want to take a moment and kind of break down the book and kind of explain the book because Proverbs is one of these uh, books in the Bible that looks very simple on its face, but it's actually very complex. And if you're not careful, you can kind of misappropriate the text and you can misuse it and maybe mistake what it's saying. So Proverbs famously is the book of wisdom. Uh, it's a book of sayings and, and, and wisdom. But the book is not only written by King Solomon. A lot of times we think that Proverbs is written by King Solomon, which it is. He's the main writer. He's the principal writer of the book. But there's actually five authors in this book. King Solomon writes the majority of it. And it's broken into seven collections. So there's seven different collections. Some of them are really short. Some of them are longer. And so what that reveals to you is that the crafting of this book was not just haphazard. This is very thoughtful. The crafting of each line, the way that Hebrew poetry comes together to explain and to reveal truth is very thoughtful. It's not just a book of sayings and motivational phrases that are put in the Bible. So you can take one line and you can just kind of apply that one line to yourself because you like it. It is to be held in tension with each other. You see, Hebrew poetry is very terse, uh, which means it's very short and condensed. Truth is actually found in each line. It's distilled. And so as a writer of Hebrew poetry, you would be thinking about taking truth and distilling it into one line. So when you read scripture and you read different types of literary styles, you read prose, right? And when you read prose, it's telling a story. And so in your mind, what happens is you begin to play a movie, right? So you read the story of David and you begin to play a movie in your head as you're reading the passage. And the idea is that truth is contained within the story at different places, but you have to read and understand the story to understand what the author is saying. Now, Hebrew poetry is different because it's short and because it's condensed, distilled truth. You need to be thinking about Proverbs like the flipping of a PowerPoint page. So if you ever use PowerPoint, think of reading Proverbs like every single time you read a verse, it ends with a click. Every time you read a verse, click next slide because there's truth contained in each slide, in each verse in Proverbs, but... 
It's not holistic. So you're not meant to take one line out of Proverbs and only hold on to that as being all-encompassing, complete truth. You're to take that as truth, which it is, but intention with the rest of truth found in the book and the rest of truth found in the entire council of Scripture. And so when you read Proverbs and when you hear it read, you should be thinking of it like PowerPoint slides. You wouldn't want someone, when you're presenting a PowerPoint slide, to take only one slide of what you said and say, that's the only thing they said and that's the only thing that matters. You want the entirety of it held in tension and you write it thoughtfully so that it builds off of each other and they reinforce each other. And so that is how Proverbs is written. And actually the intention of Proverbs is that you're to take a lot of time to come to understand the wisdom contained within it. It is actually meant for you to sit under a sage or a mentor who would read through and would explain and expound upon each of the Proverbs as he would hold them in tension with others as well as truth found in the rest of Scripture because it's such condensed truth, it takes work, it takes time in order to come to understand it. You know, this can be difficult for us because, you know, we live in, in a culture where we like wisdom, right? Quotes wisdom in 144 characters. You know, a lot of studies show that people won't read an article if it's like more than two paragraphs. So we don't want to read a lot. We don't want to work really hard to really find wisdom. We want short little phrases. That's why all of these phrases, if you're on Instagram, if you're on Facebook, if you're on Twitter, you'll see all these different self-help motivational phrases that people hold on to. They grab onto and they use them for life and they use them as wisdom, right? Some of the phrases that I, I came across this week looking at them was, you know, learn from yesterday, live for today, hope for tomorrow. Or you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Or be the best version of yourself. Or Tony Robbins, who has a lot of these, right? He says, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. We love these little motivational short tweets. And we hold them as wisdom, right? They're proverbs to us. They're these sayings that we hold as wise truth to live your life by. When we were in Canada, we were walking uh, in, in Quebec City and... Jessica noticed this street, and she pointed it out to me, and the street was called, uh, it was like D apostrophe Uville, it was like Jew Uville, and I thought to myself, like, I thought, do you Ville, and I was like, that is like the street of our culture, right? Do you Ville, where do you live? Do you Ville, you know, because I, I do me, that's how I live, that's how I get down. Right? If you notice, all of our little proverbs in culture are all about who? They're about you. Be the best version of yourself. Make your dreams come true. Learn from yesterday. Hope for tomorrow. What, all these different things because we have made wisdom solely focused on you and doing you, living out the best version of yourself. Now, I'm not saying that these different phrases are wrong, right? Maybe you, you enjoy some of the different phrases that Tony Robbins has and others, and they're encouraging you, they're motivational. That's fine. They, they can be motivational. They can be encouraging. Maybe they have aspects of truth in them. But what I am saying is they're not wise. Because wisdom, as you see in the book of Proverbs, and as is revealed in Scripture, takes work. It takes time. 
It takes grace. And so my prayer for you and for me throughout this series as we go through the book of Proverbs this summer is that you would take the time to find wisdom. And it doesn't just mean making Sunday night a priority and coming here and spending the time to listen and to process, but it means, you know, when you get that email on Monday, if you're on our email list and you see all the different Proverbs, it's, it's taking time in your week to sit down, open the Bible, and, and read through them and think about them and process them. It's going to take work. It's going to take you really thinking You know, sometimes we think that Proverbs is an easy book because it just gives you the answer, if you will, on the surface. But it's actually a very difficult book because it's distilled truth that's to be held in tension with other truth and in the entire collection of truth of Scripture. So it's a book that takes work. You have to really think and process and apply to your life. And it's going to take grace, meaning it's going to take you and me asking God and the Holy Spirit to reveal the deep truths to us. Because they're difficult to understand and they're difficult to put into practice. They may make sense to us, but they're really difficult to live out. And so we need grace. And we need to be constantly asking God throughout this series that he would help reveal wisdom to us. And that it would transform us so that it comes to be a part of our behavior. And I really do believe that if we as a a church family, and if you take time and you work by using your mind and you consistently go before God asking for grace that you're going to find wisdom. But if you treat it as just grabbing little clips here, you're not going to find wisdom. You may find a helpful saying, but it's not going to be wisdom. And so tonight we're looking at anger as this is one of the major themes in the book of Proverbs. And you heard Lauren read a whole bunch of different selections. And now you understand why every week you're going to come and you're going to see a bunch of different Proverbs read. Why? Because they're to be held in tension with one another. You can't just read one. You have to read many in order to understand what the book is saying and and what is the complete full picture of truth. And so tonight, if you look at the very first proverb that you have, it says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. I want to give you the actual translation from Hebrew. Here's what it is. He who is long of nostrils has great understanding, and he who is short of breath exalts folly. This is where you need to be very thankful that men and women have dedicated their lives to studying scripture and to really coming to understand so that you're not reading the Proverbs and you're like, he who is long of nostrils. And like you get like a ruler and you measure like, is my nostril hole long enough? Do I have great understanding? But it's interesting to go back to the original language because what's being said here is not like literally if you have long nostrils, you have great understanding. But the imagery that would have been understood by the audience is that the language is that if you have a relaxed face, you have great understanding. And so the the term slow to anger is actually bringing up images of having a face that is relaxed. And someone who has a temper and someone who lashes out in anger is someone that breathes rapidly. Think Think about the times that you've been angry, right? What happens? You start, your breathing starts to escalate. Your face starts to distort. Maybe you bite your lip. You're clenching your teeth, whatever the face may be. You don't have a relaxed face and your breathing elevates. And that's what 
is being said here is that the person that is slow to anger, that in, in, in the face of anger, as they're feeling anger and they have a relaxed face, they're breathing, they're taking a breath, they have great understanding. They're, they have wisdom. And the person that in their anger starts to elevate their heart rate and start to breathe heavy and they start to distort their face, they exalt folly. And actually, this phrase of, of slow to anger, of having a relaxed face, you see in other parts of Proverbs, but you also see in other parts of Scripture. And in other places in Scripture, this phrase is used to speak of God. So it says that God is slow to anger, as we read for the call to worship, abounding in love. And, and remember that slow to anger means that God has a relaxed face. See, what's being said here, the reason that the, the authors, in this case Solomon, is saying that wisdom is to be slow to anger, is he's saying that wisdom is to be like God. Wisdom is to be relaxed in the face of an offense like God is. When you're feeling anger, it is to be slow to that, slow to respond. It is to breathe and to take a moment. You think about the example of God in your life and also the example of God in Scripture. He is slow to anger, right? He is patient with our sin. He is not quick to avenge. He gives you time to reflect and to repent. He does not heap punishment and judgment on your head every single time you make a mistake or else you'd just be buried in the ground every hour. So would I. He's slow to anger. He's relaxed. He's not elevated He's not looking to retaliate and to lash out. He's slow. And so what the author is saying is that the person that is wise, the person that has great understanding, is like God. In the face of an offense, in the face of anger, because God is angry at sin, right, and injustice, in the face of that, you're slow to respond. But the person that is foolish, they exalt folly, meaning they begin to breathe rapidly. They begin to elevate and they lash out in anger, which means that they come to the point where they say to themselves, I've had enough. My limits have been pushed. It's time to respond. I don't deserve to be treated like this. And I'm going to seek revenge. I'm going to get back at the person that has offended me and I'm going to respond. And so what the author is saying to us is that if you're wise, then you're like God. And so you come to understand in the face of anger, objective truth, which is I am messed up. I make mistakes. I do plenty of things that anger other people. And I know that I am loved and forgiven by God who has every right to be angry at me. And yet he's loving and forgiving and patient. And so I can be patient and I can be loving and I can be forgiving in the face of the anger that I feel. And the foolish person is following after subjective truth, right? They live on the street of do youville and they say, you know what? No. You've crossed my boundaries. You've pushed my limits. I'm, I'm no longer standing for this. I need to fix the situation. I feel validated in my feelings. And I'm going to respond and retaliate in my emotions because I'm angry and you offended me. And it's important to notice what I've been saying. Right? I'm saying that anger is actually a perfectly valid feeling. It is not wrong to feel angry. Sometimes maybe you've been in a church or maybe you've heard this before. Maybe you just had the assumption that if you're a Christian, you can't be angry. That's not true. You should be angry a lot of times. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says this, be angry. 
But then he says, and do not sin. So anger is a perfectly valid feeling and emotion. It is not wrong to be angry. What is wrong is how you respond, right? When you look at Scripture, you not only see Ephesians 4 where the Apostle Paul says, be angry but don't sin. You see Jesus, he walks into the temple, very famous story, and he comes in and he he wants to worship God in, in the place, the holy place of God where God and man meet and he sees it being defiled by money changers. And he's angry. Jesus on the Sabbath is healing a man and the Pharisees are looking at him and condemning him because he's breaking the rules of the Sabbath. And Jesus is angry because they care more about rules than about people. God is angry at our sin and injustice. So anger is not a bad thing. But what is wrong is impatience and responding to anger with rash and destructive Words or decisions that lead to chaos. It is not being controlled and patient in your anger. And to have that type of understanding comes from a a disposition of the heart that is calm. Look at the next proverb. It says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. The patient or the the relaxed face, I really like the relaxed face thing because now every single time I'm getting worked up and boiling over in anger, I can just think about what does my face look like? And I'm like, okay, calm down, you know, relax the face. I'll just, if you see me like this, you know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to calm down a little bit, you know, but he's saying that the patient is slow to anger and their heart is calm. Meaning in the face of an offense, in the face of an injustice, they feel anger, but they're calm. They're not getting worked up and irritable. They're reminding themselves of the gospel that God has every right to be angry at them, but yet he is loving and patient. And so they respond with patience. They take a breath. And it says that it gives life not only to others, but it'll give life to you. When in the face of anger, in the face of you feeling anger, you are calm. Your heart is calm, which give, makes your disposition calm. You give life. On the opposite, when you're irritated and frustrated and burning with anger and it's boiling over and it's coming out in your words and your decisions are being influenced by your anger, it says that it is literally a bone cancer. It's destructive to your body. It's actually a lot of scientific studies that have shown that boiling over and harboring anger is more destructive to your heart than anxiety, depression, and extreme physical fatigue. That anger actually can destroy your body. It can break down your body. And so the proverb is saying you can be angry. There's nothing wrong with being angry. There are many times where you should be angry, but don't sin. The response is what matters. You see, anger arises in us, right, when something or someone we love is attacked or threatened. You may feel attacked or hurt, and so you get angry. Someone you love is suffering, and you get angry. You come to see or experience, you're made aware of an injustice, and you get angry. A conversation where someone attacks something that is precious and important to you makes you angry. These are totally valid reasons for being angry. 
But the fool in their anger says, I'm going to generate change myself. I'm going to respond out of my anger with rash decisions and destructive decisions. The, the fool says when they're exposed to something that makes them angry, what do they do? They immediately jump on Facebook and they start writing, right? Have you experienced that? The foolish person responds immediately when they're attacked and offended with a hurtful word back to the other person. Because now that I've been hurt, I'm going to hurt them back. The fool seeks to put an end to, adjust, an end to injustice immediately without any community support or thoughtful strategy. It's about response. The wise are just as angry as the foolish, but the wise are controlled they are relaxed. They're reminded of who God is and they're seeking to embody and to reflect who God is. Think about the next few Proverbs and how they're so true to life. It says that a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. If you've ever been in a conversation before and you're hurt, you're offended, and you immediately respond out of your anger with hurtful words or an elevated tone. And then everything just gets way worse. And you think to yourself five minutes later, I wish I didn't respond like that. Because this is way worse than it needed to be. Right? The proverb is saying that a soft answer turns away wrath. That when you respond with gentleness, when you take a breath and you respond in patience... You actually bring down the opportunity for wrath. But when you respond with harsh words, you stir up anger. The other proverb here says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife. The imagery that I started thinking about was like a bowl of soup. And I don't think I've ever made soup. But imagine if you're making soup, right? And you put the ingredients in like different quadrants. I don't even know if that's possible, but in this soup, you can. Okay? So you have all the different ingredients and they're not touching. They're just there. And then if you took a spoon and put a spoon in the soup and you started to stir it up, what happens? Everything starts to mix and everything starts to touch. That's so what this proverb is saying. It's saying when you respond out of a hot temper, when you respond with a harsh word or with an elevated tone, or you respond out of your anger with a passionate outburst, you stir everything up. Which means you begin to connect things that weren't previously connected. You bring in insecurities and anxieties that weren't previously in the conversation or a part of that situation. You're bringing in all of these other things that were never there because you responded out of your anger with a sharp word, an elevated tone, and you responded to retaliate because you were hurt. Where a soft answer calms down the situation, or as the other proverb says, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention, literally stops the person stirring the soup so that everything settles and it goes back to its quadrant. I don't, I need to make soup so I know how this works. But what the proverb is saying here, the truth that you can find is that if you want to have a healthy, constructive conversation, you want to have good sense in whatever conversation that may be in, in a relationship, in the workplace, through social, whatever the place is, if you have a calm demeanor, if you are soft in your approach, you will quiet contention. And you will not connect things unnecessarily, but if you respond with a hot temper, 
and with rash and aggressive words, you're going to stir everything up. And you're not going to be able to have a conversation that makes any progress. Proverbs 19.11 says the same thing. It says, good sense makes one slow to anger. If you have good sense, if you have wisdom, you're going to be slow to anger. You're going to have a relaxed face. And in, it is in his glory to overlook an offense. Meaning that you're not only slow to anger. Remember, you can be angry. It's not saying don't be angry. You can be angry and you should be angry, but you are slow to it. And oftentimes you may even forgive the offense. You may be thinking to yourself like, okay, Carter, I can maybe work on this and see this come to be a part of my life in relationships and in in environments where the offense isn't really heavy. When it's not a really drastic offense, it's like a light thing. But what about situations where anger management in situations where I am deeply wounded or there is a grave injustice taking place where I know that everything in me, that anger is the appropriate response. How do I respond then? Because if I'm going to be honest in that, everything in me wants to retaliate. I don't want to wait. I don't want to be patient. I don't want to have a relaxed face. What do I do then? Look at Proverbs 16. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Notice there's two characters here. is the mighty and the warrior, and then there's the wise person here. Both of them have a common enemy. Both of them are feeling anger. Both of them have been offended or they're facing an injustice. Both of them have something to overcome. And yet, the response is very different. The warrior says, listen, there's an injustice or there's an offense for me to overcome. And we're going now. We're charging now. We're not thinking. We're not processing. There is no patience. The limits have been tested. It's time to take the city. Go charge. Where the wise person is not overlooking the offense. They're not invalidating the injustice. They're going to actually take action. They're going to move forward to help to overcome whatever the injustice or the offense is, but they are patient. They control their spirit and their passion and their emotions. They have a strategy, and their strategy starts with patience, not retaliation, because they understand something. They understand the wise person responding out of their anger understands that victory never comes through force. But victory, rather, comes through strength, inner strength, and patient resolve. A patient heart and a patient mind and inner strength brings about victory. I was thinking this week as I was processing this passage, I immediately thought of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who faced a grave offense and a great injustice that he felt and everyone that was around him and so many people in the nation understood that there was a great injustice taking place. And he was angry and so many other people were angry too. And the easy response would have been to lash out in force, to stir up the pot. But he consistently and continually was patient and he controlled his anger. Listen to some of the words from his most famous speech, his I Have a Dream speech. Here's what he says. 
That is something that I must say to my people who stand on the worn threshold which leads to the palace of justice. In the process of gaining our rightful place, we must not be guilty of wrongful deeds. Let us not seek to satisfy our thirst for freedom by drinking from the cup of bitterness and hatred. We must forever conduct our struggle on the high plane of dignity and discipline. We must not allow our creative protest to degenerate into physical violence. Again and again, we must rise to the majestic heights of meeting physical force with soul force. See, he's modeling and he lived out the truth of these Proverbs. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who overtakes a city. And you see that now. You see the victory that came in large part through a man that understood what wisdom looks like in the face of anger. This is such an important thing for us to, to remember and to understand and to work after, especially in, in today's world where there's a lot of anger and there's a lack of anger management because wisdom for us is this. Wisdom is it is better to be mighty and to force your agenda and to force change than to be patient because that is how you will make a difference. We see that taking place all over the place. I was reading, I was listening to this podcast this past week. I had um, Megan Phelps Roper, if you know who she is. She was a part of Westboro Baptist and she left in 2012. And it was this interview of how she left that cult, this very misguided, uh, it's, I'm not even going to dignify it by calling it Christian, this hateful cult of people that protest uh, all different types of people all over the country. And she left in 2012, and the interview is, you know, how did that happen? How did you, in your 20s, you were born and raised in this environment, in this family, in this church, quotes around that. How, how did you get out? How did you come to see it for what it was? And she said that it happened through Twitter. Interesting. Most of the time we think Twitter is like only negative, but actually happened through Twitter. She said she, she began to interact with this Jewish man on Twitter who, who disagreed with everything that she said and was angry, right? But he controlled his passions and he was civil and he had conversation with her. You can imagine what she faced on a daily basis, right? At the protest or on social media, the kind of words and the kind of things that were said to her, the hate that was spewed at her. It was battling hate with hate. But this man, who actually at one point they were protesting an event that he was at, a Jewish event, and, and they began to attack the protesters, the Westboro Baptist men and women were being attacked, and the police were overlooking it and allowing it to happen. And this man actually stepped in and stopped it. And she said that through the conversations on Twitter with him, she came to see the flaws in her thinking. And she, became, she came to see the reality of falsehood that she was following after. But it wasn't through force. It wasn't through pushing your agenda. It was through a man who was patient, but persistent, who was calm, who responded intelligently, didn't stir things up. So all these other things were connected, had good sense conversations, and she was changed. You see, the wise understand that force and responding out of your emotions and responding and retaliation and revenge because you've been offended or you've been wronged will never generate change. 
Change comes through patience. Comes through self-controlled anger and management of your passions. I was thinking this week um, of Nadine Collier, the daughter of uh, Ethel Lance, who was killed in a Bible study in Charleston by Dylan Roof. And here's how she responds. Imagine the anger that she felt. She says, I forgive you. You took something really precious away from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her hand again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. It hurts me. It hurts a lot of people, but God forgive you and I forgive you. And she, she felt anger. And these families felt anger. And it was valid and justified to be angry. She was hurting and she was wronged, but her response was not to boil over and retaliate. It was not to stir things up. It was to respond with patience. And actually, she was capable of overlooking the offense. And person after person that was affected by losing loved ones responded in a similar fashion. And what happened? It not only brought healing to their families, it brought healing to a community there that could have erupted in extreme violence. Instead, it was much more quiet than the different arenas around the country that had similar fates because of what they modeled. They were like Jesus. They followed wisdom, which is they were angry and they should have been angry, but they responded with patience and with kindness and here even with forgiveness. They were modeling, I think, Proverbs 24 which says, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back the man. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Notice it is justified to be angry when there is cause. Actually, what that what that is suggesting and what that means is that there are times where if you're not angry, that's a sin. If you are, if something is taking place and there is an injustice that is happening and you are not angry about it, that's wrong. But you are not to respond in your anger with retaliation, paying back what they deserve. Instead, the Proverbs say that you're to kill them with kindness. Look at Proverbs 25. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. You are to respond with hate, with good and forgiveness. You are to respond with gentleness and kindness when you are being attacked. That is how you manage your anger. Imagine how hard that was in a culture, especially. It's definitely really hard now. Imagine there where the cultural, cultural norm was an eye for an eye. You take my eye, I'm going to take yours. Instead, this is saying that you give your enemy and those that have offended you and have caused a great injustice, you actually give them bread when they're hungry. There's a scholar, William McCain, he says this, when the enemy that has steeled himself to meet hate with hate is impervious to threats of revenge, but he's vulnerable to a generosity which overlooks and forgives and capitulates to kindness. This is great words for a time like ours. I mean, what if the church and what if you responded out of your anger with patience, with kindness, 
and with forgiveness in your relationships, in your conversations at work, on social media, when you are wronged and hurt, when you're viewing and facing an injustice. Because if you're a believer, you know the power of forgiveness and kindness. You've come to find Jesus Christ who has loved and forgiven you and sacrificed his life for you, even though you were full of anger and hate towards God. Maybe in your speech or certainly in your action, God had every right to respond out of his anger, and yet he wasn't. He was relaxed and he was patient with you. He was patient with me. He loved and forgave me when I was responding to God and you were responding to God with hate and rejection and rebellion and you were causing a great injustice. And yet God responded with forgiveness and kindness. He was in your midst when you wanted nothing to do with him. And so you've come to find that you've been given a gift you don't deserve and you haven't earned, which is salvation by grace through faith. And you've been given eternal security and you've been, you've been given present joy and community and guidance and you've been given the truth of his word. And so what that should manifest in you is a gospel perspective on your life, on your relationships, on the interactions that you have with other people. It should illuminate to you the power of managing your anger and being capable of forgiving and being kind that when you're offended and when you're hurt, you can forgive. When you're facing an injustice, you can respond with wisdom instead of retaliation. When life isn't going the way that you wanted and everything in you is boiling over in anger, you can be at peace and trust what God is doing. In conversations where things that are attacked, that are very precious to you, you can take a breath and overlook the offense. Because you have been healed of your anger. So don't go back to it and respond out of it. Because Proverbs says, when you do, it's a bone cancer. It will destroy you. So the wise know that we are to be angry when it's appropriate, but not sin. And in order to do that, you have to keep your loves in perspective. You have to keep your loves in check. Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is, and he says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says, and then the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, what is he saying? He's saying, in order to love your neighbor, in order to manage your anger and be angry but not sin, you have to keep love of God on the throne of your heart. You have to love God first, foremost. You have to seek after him, remind yourself of his love, Give yourself to coming to understand and to studying and meditating and praying and processing his love. Because when it's on the throne of your heart, you can actually love your neighbor. You can be angry and not sin. And that's wisdom. Let's pray.